everyone and welcome to this 10th episode of Adjari Talks. I'm so happy, I'm so honored to have with me Jojo War, who is a personal friend of mine as well as um, the Director of Public Policy for MasterCard Africa. This is going to be a great episode talking about what public policy is doing for the continent of Africa and for Kenya in general. A great episode for anyone who's looking to go not only into a legal career, but in-house in a legal career. So let's get started. Welcome, George. Thank you so much, Jerry. Can I just say that I'm so excited to be here <laughs> because like, you are someone who I've admired for years. Oh. I think what your listeners don't know and you don't tell them is like how amazing you are. <laughs> Let me tell you, to everyone listening, honestly, Jerry was the first person who I knew who got a first class degree, okay? I remember when all of us were saying in our CVs, we speak French. Uh, Jerry actually spoke French, you know? And uh, just you and a couple of people who, I guess, were just a little bit older than me. And I think of you, I think of Aleem Visram, and I, I think of Dominic Ribello, because all of you had a whole life before you actually started practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've had rounded careers. So I'm excited today. Thank you so much, George. And thank you for that compliment. It's, you know, I'm blushing. Yeah. <laughs> the audience can't see, but I'm blushing. We would normally start with quick fire questions. Yeah. Let's get started. Yeah. George, you studied at Warwick University. I remember us taking our flights to London um, for, you know, from Kenya from the summer holiday and being so depressed about going back to uni. You also interned at Fountain Court Chambers, which is a criminal uh, barrister chambers. Yeah. When did you know that practicing law was not for you? And why is it not for you, George? You'd be a, such a good lawyer. I know, right? Um, okay, so firstly, it's a quick fire session. and I'm not going to answer it in quick fire. I can't <laughs> even lie. So number one, um, so my mom is a retired judge. So I've Oh, no, she, she is the retired judge. She's Justice Award, which Cor- not many people know. And you don't even need to use it on your CV. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I've seen her I've, growing up. I've just seen this phenomenal woman um, doing all these first things and being this this powerhouse when it comes yeah. to the legal field and, you know, doing it so soft spoken and nicely. And yeah. I remember when she was up at three o'clock in the morning writing judgments, I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, she was shaping law, all of these yeah. things. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I was like, actually, guys, there's nothing else I'm doing. I'm going to become a judge. Yeah. That is it. I finished law school and I enjoyed many things about it. I really enjoyed my law degree. And I remember when I came back and I, was, I went for an interview for pupillage. Yeah. And I went to one of um, these very, very uh, high-tier law firms. And one of your very good friends and the partner at the time. <laughs> Is it a law firm? I know. Uh, I, I'm sure you do. <laughs> so I sat there, you know, blue-eyed boy. I was just like, hey, in university I've done... MUN, I've been the editor of the law magazine. MUN all is these Model things. United Nations for anyone who doesn't know. Correct. Yes. I was like the editor of the uh, law magazine at Warwick or Bitter Dicta. Mm-hmm. And so I sat there and I was just like answering all these questions. And this partner looked at me and said, Stop telling me about childish things. Oh, wow. Uh, let's have a real conversation. <laughs> and so he's like, What did you really do at university? Wow. Other than that, and I was like, um, do I give you the real answer? I drank lots of tequila. Yeah. Like, I mean, what, what do you say? Yeah. So I think that was when I really began to know that I actually love the law, but I don't want to practice. Okay. I want to know more about politics, about business, and how the law actually relates to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my wife, who is also a practicing lawyer, not also because I'm not, but is a practicing lawyer, yeah. always asked me, 
why do you focus on the fact that you have not practiced as opposed to the fact that you found a niche that you're doing really well at so yeah. that was just really the beginning of it Would you, but i don't i don't think there's anything there's no there's no difference between an in-house or you know practicing lawyer it's there's still a law at the same time but a different aspect of the law i don't think it's a it's less than correct but you see the thing is when you've grown up seeing practice yeah that's all you think that's is success you, right i so, guess so i guess yeah. yeah i can understand that but your career trajectory has not been you know public policy instantaneously you went first into international trade you worked at the embassy of kenya in switzerland yeah. you also worked at the international trade center and wti advisors so it looked like you were going into trade more right than anything else why trade what was so appealing about it that's a really good question so I um, have always had a bit of a development background, right? We're just trying to understand how can we get people to just have more in their pocket? How can we get people to have more dignity to live their lives, ETC? And I remember uh, when I was my second year of university, I went went back to Dala, the village, you know? And I was in my my village is Karachonyo, Homa Bay County. And I thought to myself... Huh? They, you can't, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to be down with to be, the down with the lingo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember very clearly my my dad passed away in '94, mm-hmm. right? So I remember at that point in time, I was sitting there almost 15 or 16 years after his death, and thinking if he woke up right now, he would be completely comfortable because yeah. nothing has changed. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. everything is the same. So I started wondering how exactly can we use business to get people to have better lives. And that really led me down the route of international trade law. Mm-hmm. So it's so exciting. Yeah. How do countries discuss with each other to actually let commerce happen? Yeah. That excited me so much. So yeah. I did my master's in international trade law. Yeah. And that's how I then ended up working for a little bit for WTI advisors in Geneva. And even when I came back to Nairobi, um, working on really interesting projects like the trade remedies law, being a yeah. con- consultant for that, mm-hmm. training governments like in East Africa on trade negotiations. I love it. It's my passion. Yeah. So yeah. how did you get from there to public policy then? Because it really is fundamentally public policy. So when I was working at Trademark East Africa, yeah. one of the main things that we did was is we were helping the private sector to enhance the environment that they're in for them to thrive. Yeah. So uh, that's where the public policy part really started, even though it was within almost a trade and investment sort of sector. Yeah. So then after that, it was a very quick switch when I moved to Procter & Gamble. Yeah. Anyone who looks at your LinkedIn profile, your career trajectory has been very steadily and increasingly responsibilities in the public policy sector. So you were at uh, Procter & Gamble first, yeah. in the same, in a, you know, a manager role. And Facebook, also doing legal, actually. And also legal and manager. Legal communications uh, yeah. and, yeah. Then you were in uh, at Facebook as a senior manager? Or? Yeah. So basically, yeah. At, yeah. So at, at Procter & Gamble, I was um, leading the East Africa government relations yeah. and being legal counsel for East Africa. Yeah. And then I moved to Facebook as a manager for East Africa. Yeah. Yeah. You left uh, Facebook during a pandemic yes. to join MasterCard as now a director yes. of public policy. Tell us about, first of all, how did you manage to wiggle a new role in the pandemic, which is, you know, highly, yeah. you know, unusual. And also, what did you learn from Facebook that you're now taking into your role in a more senior role as a director? Yeah, leaving a job during a pandemic is very difficult. And yeah. also leaving an amazing, I mean, I had an amazing time at Facebook. Like anybody who's thinking about 
a career at Facebook, I think I would definitely encourage you to look at it. I think what it was is that I really, two things. I really, really wanted to do a more Africa-wide role. Yeah. It was Mm -hmm. something that I really wanted to have more experience around the continent. And then also the financial services industry really, really interested me. So I wanted to go deeper into that. So was it scary moving roles? Yes, because you're like, you don't know what's going to happen the next year. It was a good decision and I'm happy I did it. But actually, I think we we had conversations around that time because I was also transitioning into a new role, which is, you know, has worked out perfectly and i'm sure yours will as well what did you learn from facebook then um that you're you're bringing into this new role how so, how is it shaping you you as a director now so you know the weird thing is i can't have to attribute it to every single role i've had i've had great managers i've been really lucky by the way all my managers up and now only this is the only time that i'm not being managed by a woman so for me oh, it's, wow. okay. it's amazing so i've been around these powerhouses of women throughout my whole career yeah Shout out to Lisa Tope, <laughs> Mercy. <laughs> Hi, Lisa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so each role taught me something. So at PNG, what I really loved was that the MD, when I first got in there, was like, I'm not looking for legal counsel. I'm not looking for government relations person. I'm looking for a business partner. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they want you to immerse yourself in the business. And actually, PNG has this program for new hires where you will go in different departments. Yeah. So we went into the market to sell. And then you learn certain insights, like mm-hmm. why during the rainy season, people buy more um, diapers. Well, that's because it, the, the cotton or the cloth ones don't dry uh, as, as quick. Quickly, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, those very, very small things and, the, mm-hmm. you, and those insights. Or, and so that really taught me how you need to make sure that you're in line with the business and you know the business intricately. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then when I got to Facebook, Facebook taught me that actually, first you are who you are. So you're going there yeah. as a black African man and nothing should actually take you away from your beliefs yeah. and who you are. We yeah. had such strong leadership in the Africa team. Yeah. Our leader was called Abele and she really instilled that, look, you are who you are. Make sure that you're an African first. And so that was amazing. Yeah. So it's not that you're just looking at the company's goals. You're actually thinking, how can I also help my country, my people, and also help the company? Yeah. That was amazing. And when you come to, when I got to now MasterCard, it's been really good because as much as MasterCard is an international company, it actually works very much as a local company in every jurisdiction it's in. Yeah. So I've brought those two things of being a business partner and being an African first. And almost it's been perfect for this role. Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed that because of the fact that Africa is such a hotbed of activity at the moment, you've literally leveraged on new businesses, Facebook being a business that wasn't in existence 20 years ago, MasterCard, which has been in existence for a long time, but who are interested in really galvanizing the African continent and making sure that their presence is felt. Yep, and the greatest thing, it's in a very authentic way. Yeah. Never have I sat somewhere being like, you guys are not serious about Africa. Yeah. And you get that, that a lot. So people, you talk to other people in multinationals where they're like, you're not serious. I've had the privilege of working for companies who actually want to invest in the continent. And I think I think that's amazing because you are an African, you've grown up in the continent and you Correct. know what, what, or at least you have an understanding of what Africans need in this region. I want to talk about a bit about public policy. Your role, what is public policy? What does it mean to be a a director of public policy, actually? 
Okay, so I think public policy has different names, right? You can call it government relations, public policy. Some people call it corporate affairs, external affairs. Some people even call it communications because it's like we don't know what this thing is. But really, I look at it as three things when I go into my work every day. Number one, how do you work with a government to create an enabling environment for our business to thrive? Okay. Secondly, how do you make sure the government knows what you're doing? Because I work in very cutting-edge industries. You have to keep on telling the government what you're doing so that even when they're thinking about policies and laws, they understand it more. Mm-hmm. And finally, how can you help the company comply with the government directives in a way that is still beneficial both to the government and the company? I mean, all of those are, are extremely good points and very well explained. Thank you well, so much, mean? George. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, you've explained it, okay. but it's just more, is it lobbying for your own benefit? Is it just that you guys are saying, oh, let me get the government on my side. And yeah. first of all, I have the money to lobby. A lot of businesses, smaller businesses, don't don't have that um, capital to be able to expend on external affairs, as you called it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Whoa. Savage. Okay. And it's true. You know what? If you want to call me a lobbyist, I'm happy with you calling me a lobbyist. Mm-hmm. Fun fact about where the term lobbyist comes from. Do you okay. know? No. Okay. So, basically, President Grant, uh, very, the US President Grant, basically, he used to go to a hotel to just sort of try and unwind and get away from oh, people. Is it going to be something to do with the lobby? Correct. Because mm-hmm. people would come to the lobby and be like asking for things. Yeah. And then now it's become, yeah. you became yeah. a lobbyist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To be honest, call it lobbying if you do, want to call it lobbying. I, you can call it negotiations, advocacy. Yeah. Everyone does it every day. Because what is the basis of public participation? Somebody saying, this is my thought, this is what I think is going to work, what do you think? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. lobbying. Yeah. So we all do it, but I think it just um, looks better when, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're not a company doing it, but we yeah. all have to do it in life. Could you, could you give us an example of how you know, that lobbying, that public policy initiative has actually impacted on the public. Yeah. What what examples can you give us so that we can be tangibly comforted that you're doing that you're doing good? <laughs> tangibly comforted. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a very polite way of saying, I want to be comfortable that you're not just giving bribes. <laughs> which, Correct. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Which, again, also, my family, when I started in public policy, they were like, oh, so you walk around with a brown envelope. Uh, with the, uh, in your back pocket. Yeah. In my back pocket, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them, in fact. <laughs> which is not the case at all. Yeah. And I'm actually, in my 10, I think now 12 years of doing public policy, I've never been asked for a bribe yeah. by mm-hmm. any government official, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is sort of testament to how you can actually approach yeah. this mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. particular profession. So, you want some impact? Yes. I, I would love to talk about very many of them, but I'll choose maybe one or two. Okay. When it came to sanitary pads, mm-hmm. and we all know how important and essential sanitary pads are, yeah. right? They're expensive. Yeah. So, when the government decides that they're going to put any sort of tax on it, it actually means the difference between a lot of women using it and when they and a lot of girls using it and not using sanitary yes, pads. So this is an initiative when we when we were working on sort of trying to get VAT and exemptions of of VAT on sanitary pads, 
this was an industry-wide effort. You have to have the producers mm-hmm. on board because if you're not talking to producers who actually make the pads, then there's yeah. no point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to well, society yeah. who are also advocating, advocating for the same thing. Yeah. You are mm-hmm. working with parliamentarians, especially the Kewapa, which is the Kenya Women Parliamentary Association. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These women were phenomenal mm-hmm. in mobilizing sort of advocacy efforts within parliament. Yeah. So in the first instance, which was before my time, you had people like Justice Dungu and Martha Karua really yeah. advocating for this. Mm-hmm. When again the issue came up and there was a potential that you know the VAT would be put back on it, then you had people like Sabina Chege and Esther Pasaris really, really working hard to make sure that these um, don't yeah. that this does not come out. You know, yeah. and at the end of the day. Um, even in Tanzania, when we managed to get the exemption on VAT, it it was not the companies at the forefront. Yeah, it was literally civil society coming down, sitting, saying, "Hey, if we we manage to push the government for this, will you put your prices down to this?" Yeah, and, you, and the answer is yes. Okay, not only can you put the prices down, you can actually make it more available because yeah. it's cheaper to do so. The last one I'll even talk about is just a more recent one. With the social media bill yeah. in Kenya, if mm-hmm. you remember, the plan was to be able to start fining administrators of WhatsApp groups, etc. Yeah, for you, responsibility for, for uh, defamation, etc. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You then had organizations like Kicktonet organizing sessions with the ICT Select Committee in Parliament to discuss this issue, educate yeah. them on what was going wrong. Mm-hmm. These are impactful examples. So yeah. it's not just only for gain. It's for actual all of us gain social good yeah social good so so i like those examples thank you very much george let me let me ask you because of your financial services role and you there are the financial services companies who are in a similar position to you yeah. do you align yourselves together when you're doing your public policy uh, pushing or you know lobbying or how how does it work are you in competition yeah no so basically what happens is you have very strict rules on how exactly you can engage right yeah. because of course the risk of anti-competitive behavior or tendencies can come yeah. when you have all these companies together together yeah. so mm-hmm. that's why we go under trade associations whereby whether it be kepsa the american chamber of commerce in kenya or TESPOC, whatever yeah. these are, mm-hmm. you come together, you have discussions in a very regulated room. Yeah. So you're not discussing pricing, you're not discussing anything like that, you're actually discussing the issues with minutes taken, ETC. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yes, you do come together because it's a collective Yeah effort yeah well i think you know it's better together than than alone definitely the road yeah. alone i, I want to talk a bit about regulation of tech in africa simply yeah. because it's it's a hot topic and it's one that it affects you as well especially financial services yeah um we're, we're currently seeing a major clampdown on tech companies in china yeah uh, by the government there what can we expect here um are you worried about that yeah so i think um china is interesting i don't i can never claim to know much about um, what's going on there, but I, I think it's very difficult to look at things in just one in one, in one light, right? Yeah. Because I know it's part of a whole general economic and cultural reform yeah. that the government is trying to push. When we come closer to home, I think when we specifically look at Kenya, let me start by saying I don't foresee there being a great sort of security state-esque situation, simply because yeah. we've come from so far. 
you know, we have our constitution, we have a great thriving civil society, the government would just not be able to pull off some things that yeah. perhaps, you know, we but would you know, be worried about. Kenyans on Twitter will never allow that. They will never let they will you not- live. Let, let alone let exactly. alone let regulation live. Yeah. Correct. Um, but we are seeing instances where, let's say, if, if we take an area such as internet shutdowns, right? Um, oh, I think in 2019, was it? Across sub-Saharan Africa, it was estimated that over $2.2 billion was lost due to internet shutdowns. shutdowns. Yeah. And what does internet shutdown actually mean? It could mean, yes, switching off the internet, yeah. but it could mean also blocking of social media and right specific sites specific sites Mm -hmm. exactly Mm -hmm. so it could be the block blocking outright blocking it could also be the throttling which means it's so slow you can't actually use it right yeah yeah. um and i think in 2020 we had about eight shutdowns in african countries um in burundi in chad ethiopia ghana mali and and the reason for that is always a security risk or a spreading of misinformation that that's the excuse that the governments use there could i mean you see, and I think it's national security is something that yeah. is so serious that, yeah. yes, that is one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. But actually, one of the most of, officially used reasons is examinations, i.e. during the national examinations, oh, they really? do not want things to leak. Yes, correct. That's very interesting. It's I mean, very that, interesting. that is a, seriously a, a 2000 plus problem. <laughs> it was never a problem for us when exactly. everything was handwritten. Exactly. Oh, I see. Um, okay. mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, but we're also seeing some light at the end of the tunnel on this. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing the courts getting a little bit more brazen about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the uh, ECOWAS, which is the Economic Community of West African States, yeah. mm-hmm. the Court of Justice actually ruled that Togo's shutdown in 2017 was illegal. Yeah. Um, a couple of years after that, we had in Zimbabwe the High Court also saying something similar, yeah. mm-hmm. um, saying it, it was an affront to the right of freedom of expression. Yeah. You know, so we are seeing that you know slowly by slowly, the courts are beginning to sort of say, hey. The internet is actually a fundamental freedom yeah. right. Uh, so, right? so are you, you're seeing that as one of your areas of lobbying, public policy, in terms of um, pushing for the impermissibility of uh, the regulation of social media sites or you know the internet, basically. Okay, so yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think what I'm trying in terms of the financial services sector. Yeah, we need the internet for things to run definitely and right? it cannot it cannot work if it's throttled if it's slowed down if it, exactly yeah. okay. mm-hmm. so i think it's just about getting all stakeholders together and let's figure out how we'll deal with this mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm. because all sides have a fantastic argument you know mm-hmm. be it government from national security be it the sites themselves in terms of freedom of speech and yeah. things yeah. like that yeah. so you can understand all sides yeah. yeah what what other areas are you looking at are you looking at data protection as well yeah, data mm-hmm. protection is something that's very close to my heart. It's very close to um, the, com- uh, the company I work for, MasterCard. Um, and I think it's fantastic to see around Africa the proliferation of data protection. Legislation. Re- re- exactly. Mm-hmm. Including, you know, here in Kenya also. Um, in fact, we're just waiting now for the finalization of the data protection regulations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we do have to be really careful about is 
making sure we're not just getting data protection legislation from Europe or from the states yeah. and mm-hmm. then implanting it in Africa yeah. as it is. Because there are certain things that we also have to think about why we're doing it. Yeah. When we talk about data localization, i.e. the storage or the processing of in, data... In country. In country and mm-hmm. on soil, yes. right? Mm-hmm. I, I always ask, what is the main motivation for that? Is it from a data protection point of view? Mm -hmm. Because if it is, then actually, if you think about it, to have this data stored here, you know, you need really reliable electricity and things like that. And in terms of the security of it, Mm -hmm. there probably wouldn't be any difference for it being stored here or anywhere else, right? Mm -hmm. Or is is it a political reason in that do you want this data to be stored here because of political reasons. We just have to be very clear about why we're, set, we're doing certain things and just be aware that sometimes it might not be the most efficient way of handling things, Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but there is another reason for it. So as we continue to have this debate okay. from different stakeholders. Okay. Yeah. What about um, cybersecurity? Mm. Yes. Cybersecurity is something that's really interesting. And I think it's a problem that we are seeing all across Africa, all, all across the world, actually. If you think about it, almost every 11 seconds, one business will fall victim to some sort of cybersecurity attack. And this was in 20, yeah, 2021. George, where are you getting these facts from? You've come with the facts Let today. me tell you, I've come with the facts today because people need to know. Wow, okay. Yeah. And actually, if you think about it, and of course, these are also highly... You know, this is globally, so a lot of it is going to be in the U.S. and Europe. Mm -hmm. But literally, the average cost of a data breach in 2020 was $3.86 million. Wow, okay. Now, if you just think about that, because we're dreaming, because Africa, we are going towards having big companies, right? Exactly, yeah. So Mm -hmm. we can't just be like, oh, yeah, I mean, is it really a big deal here? Yes, Yes. it is. Mm -hmm. We need Mm -hmm. to make it a big deal. And I think part of that is there is a national security component of it yeah. that yes must be there but also cybersecurity is something that needs to be discussed more on a consumer level yeah mm-hmm. you know so what you're seeing the Kenya Bankers Association doing in partnership with banks to just alert people about their security. I'm sure you've gotten your, the text from your bank. Of course, yeah. yeah. And if we you haven't, you should change you. banks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we need to start having like a conversation about how we can bring everyone into this conversation on cybersecurity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Mastercard has this fantastic um, uh, sort of project that we co-sponsor which is called the GCA Cybersecurity Toolkit. Yeah. And it's amazing because small businesses can actually use this free toolkit to come in and look at their cybersecurity and enhance it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we really need. We need SMEs to start looking at this as an issue because everyone's pushing SMEs to become more digital, more digital, but then no one's pushing for their safety. And protection. So are you publicizing this? Is is this something that is known? So it's something that we're actually working with across Mm -hmm. governments in Africa Mm -hmm. to sort of see how we can reach out to as many SMEs as possible. So -hmm. definitely I will let you know as soon as we have um, launched this in Kenya. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a great one. So you've identified so many themes. You've identified cybersecurity, data protection, uh, and and the regulation on shutdown of uh, social media uh, by government. Uh, What is your view of the regulations of online content um, Mm. around the globe? That's another issue that, you know, is generally affecting businesses and um, consumers in general. 
Yeah, it really is. So I think what we're seeing is a lot of, again, proliferation of what they call hate speech legislations, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think we all agree that, you know, we're all on social media and we all need to be really responsible because the biggest problem, and especially talking from an African point of view, is that not everybody's on the internet. Not yeah. everybody's on social media. Mm-hmm. So you go to um, a remote village and you realize that one person has a phone. Yeah, And, and this one it. person is sharing the information Correct. that they're reading and they believe that if they read it on Twitter, then it must be the golden the, truth. Yeah. So there is a problem. But on the other side, we need to be careful that we're not using these hate speech legislations yeah. mm-hmm. to curb again freedom of expression to curb um opposition voices and yeah. things like that mm-hmm. so it's 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 a tough one it's a really difficult balance i have yeah. to say yeah so thanks for that i want to talk a bit about the africa free continental trade agreement which you will know because of your ex- your background in trade but also as a, as a public policy initi- uh, you know initiative for you guys what are you thinking about it and how do you think your business will change as a result of the, its implementation i mean uh, this is it's a game changer mm-hmm. and i think there is so much political will to get this actually going yeah from our point of view if you're you know if business is working and business is moving, this is also good. If yeah. SMEs are able to make more money to get newer markets. And I think the really good thing about um, the agreement, and I don't want to go too much into it, right? Because yeah. I, could, I could be here for years. <laughs> like, get me, get me a comforter pillow. We would also but no. But no. <laughs> but no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say, like, it's, it, this, the creation of a single market is so essential for allowing... SMEs to be able to think larger, think at scale, yeah. think in a way that we can actually for once become bigger companies and become Africa multinationals, wide Africa-wide companies, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It'll also help our diversity in that all most yeah. of us are creating the same or producing the same products, right? If you think about it historically, over 75% I'm here with my stats again because you're smiling. I love these stats. But Mm. 75% of African exports outside of the continent consisted of extractive commodities Mm -hmm. where only 40% of intra-Africa trade Mm -hmm. were extractive. Meaning that, look, amongst ourselves, there's potential to not only look at our raw materials, but actually try and see what can we do with finished goods. And refine them. And yes. refine them. Yes, correct. And also, mm-hmm. if we do that well internally, yes. what possibly can't we do when we're exporting? And you know, there's so much I've learned about, for example, the coffee market, where right. you know, instead of, ex- of of exporting the raw coffee bean, yeah. you could be finishing the product in-house. Exactly. What does that mean for our country and for the factories and for packaging and for that type of industry, which you've not even tapped into yet? 100%. So yeah, the potential for that is, 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 is humongous. Because again, if you're putting the investment in those refineries or those things you you have to be able to back it up with a market completely you know and unfortunately our markets are small and this is it's 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 really pained me that sometimes when you're thinking oh kenya look at us we are 45 million people yeah is that what the latest census says or 50 you know i'm not with the stats like okay yeah okay so (laughs) (laughs) between 45 and 50 million yeah (laughs) um so we are we must, I mean, surely, if we're going to grow coffee, we can sell it domestically. Correct. 
fact of the matter is, in terms of when, it, when we look at global trade, when it comes to even Africa, we are a small dot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are, and how do we increase this? It's by becoming together and giving each other completely, bigger markets. Completely. Um, I just want to also just say one other thing okay. that's very close to my heart, Go right? Ahead, George. Just about this is that when we're talking about women traders, when we're talking about women in business, yeah. mm-hmm. what, we, what this agreement is going to do by formalizing the informal trade, let's say, at the borders. And yeah. what I mean by informal trade, because again, these borders are also colonially drawn, right? Correct. We all know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So really, somebody living on the border of you know, Uganda and Kenya, it's just one thing. So someone's going to wake up go and sell their tomatoes in Uganda. They don't know that. I mean, they know they've cha- they moved, but it's just the same area, right? Basically, Basically. it doesn't really impact. It doesn't impact, right? Mm-hmm. So now, if we're able to formalize that mm-hmm. and actually get people to get more money for their produce, to be able to get a way to, to uh, sort of a way for these women traders to actually have access yeah. to a bigger market, yeah. it's a game changer. Yeah, game changer, yeah. You know, especially because again, now we're now we're really talking about helping everybody, not just helping the big companies, but also helping the yeah. s- small companies or the individual trader. I mean, the potentialism is amazing, and I really hope, I, and we are going to be there to see it. So I hope that we see, you know, the the future and the development of this um, Africa Free Trade Continental Agreement for ourselves. But yeah. again, can I say that, you know, Jerry? It's also me saying to you, as a legal industry, when they start um, negotiating the services part of the yeah. agreement, everyone has to be involved. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, we can't just be waiting to be for the government to say, "Now we're doing this." The government reacts to what you give it. Yeah. You know, so it's not that the government uh, exists as this huge body that has its own mind. Its mind are me and you. The, and I and complete so, spoken like a true director of public yeah. policy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look to the future now and I want to talk about the Kenyan elections. Yeah. Um next year. What do you what do you uh, anticipate being the impact of these elections? What are you seeing for your business um yeah. for next year? What are you doing about it? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I think the sort of legal structures that we've put in, I guess we just all hope that, you know, they stand strong. Yeah. And again, like every other person in business, we hope for a quick and decisive election, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because again, because our cycle of elections is so long and yeah. business really suffers, yeah. the shorter the better. Yeah. And I think then from the next administration, whoever it may be, it really is about consistency in the policy decisions yeah. that are coming out yeah. because a lot of policy has been made in this last administration and for companies to have to change their way or change their view really quickly and the way they're working would be difficult so whoever is in the next administration we're just looking for a consistent stable and predictable policy environment and and we pray for that as well and again, looking to the future, what is yeah. the, the, the biggest impediment to growth in Africa? What do you see as a public policy advisor? What can you tell us? You know, it's um, actually just this morning, I had a, I'm on this group uh, where we discuss a lot of things. It's a group of guys. You know, George, the groups that you're in. I know. First of all, are these high level groups? No, it's, not, it's not a high level group at all, by First the way. All, can I join the high level yeah, group? You can, jo- you can always join it. This group started because we were all having um, some yamcham at Sagret. So we were all, um, that's the name of it. And we were, we were actually discussing the sugarcane 
industry, right? Yeah. And of mm-hmm. course, because I don't claim to be a sugarcane farmer, but my my mother and my brothers are. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So. It was a lot of discussion about, you know, how competitive is the sugar industry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we should just do away with it. And, you know, there were other sides, mostly me saying, well, you know, we can, it's easy to use those sort of free market um, discussions and rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you have millions of people depending on this crop for their livelihood, it's not just as easy as saying, you know, let it go or mm-hmm. don't let it go, ETC. Mm-hmm. So the reason I brought this up is that actually, the biggest impediment to growth sometimes is that not each and every side is coming together to have a discussion. Yeah. And sometimes we can see that even in how governments operate is that you have one ministry, another ministry doing things that are completely at odds. Not, yeah. at odds. Mm-hmm. And, that is the, and that is actually the biggest issue. Having that 360 degree view of where do we want to go? And we do well. We have things like Vision 2030. Yeah. And those are really important documents, right? But how do we make them actually live throughout our, our decisions, both as private sector yeah. and as government? So yeah. the g- greatest impediment, I would say, is that 360-degree visioning. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's hope, let's hope that the, the next election will bring us closer to that um, you know, 360 view. But um, I've got to say also, I'm sorry to continue on this, we're also seeing that the government has made really good sort of strides, especially in Kenya, in trying to get to this, uh, especially with the advisors' positions that the government has put, uh, the president has put around him, whereby you have different people, like let's say the SME advisor, trying to bring together all ministries to say, hey, what's our goal? And yeah. get that coordination kind of going. So we're beginning to see that kind of thinking really yeah. elevated and long may it continue really because yeah. that's what that's what we need we need a lot of help and i think you know the the the, the worst thing about it is there are people like you there are people who are more aligned to your thinking but they're all in private sector can we go into public sector i mean uh, <laughs> <laughs> can you yeah. answer that question are you trying are you trying to get me fired from my job no, as i'm trying no. to advocate for I'm another trying, job I'm, yeah no i'm trying no. to make a better kenya <laughs> I, I, let me answer that completely generically and say everyone has a role to play. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thanks so much, George. I, everyone should have seen her eye roll. It was hilarious. Okay. Yeah. Um, George, I normally ask my guests a quick fact about themselves that no one knows. Tell us the secret about yourself. Um, let me try and find an appropriate one. For someone with one. all those facts. You, you yeah. Know, no, I'm trying to find one that's appropriate <laughs> that you can't like, That's almost PG. Yeah. Okay. I, I would say... My when I was in in not university when I was in high school, all I wanted to do was become a thespian. Really? Yes. So I used to do a lot of theater. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I did a lot with like Phoenix players and Nairobi City players. You could have been with Lupita. Okay, so I have a story about this. Oh, good. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) So. The Constant Gardener. I don't know if you remember that yes, movie. The and it was Gardner, filmed yeah. in it Kenya. It was filmed in Kenya. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think um, Lupita, in many of her interviews, has referenced her work on that set yeah. as being the you know, groundbreaking part <laughs> of her career. So I had an audition for, for a the, role. Oh, wow. So, you know, I walked in there and I was like, great. You know, you put like Vaseline on your face. You're like, look <laughs> at me. I'm ready. Haircut. Nini. Yeah. Um, problem was, I think the role was for um, like a very skinny, skinny small <laughs> houseboy role yeah and so here i turn up this rotund 
<laughs> young man. Rotund. Rotund. Is that really how you want to describe yourself? I'm going to say rotund. <laughs> and um, so basically, the end of that is Lupita is where she is. And um, yeah. <laughs> I really love that. Yeah. I really love that. Thank you so much, George, for being on this podcast. You no. have given us so many insights. Honestly, from data protection, cybersecurity, regulation. Uh, what public policy is i have learned a lot and i really mm. thank you for taking the time to mm. open yourself up to these questions and also to giving us so much insight and giving us hope for uh, the future of africa and kenya um in general thank you so much everyone this has been george award director of public policy at mastercard africa thank you and see you next month everyone thank you <laughs>